Hello and welcome to another episode of Empire Sports Talk. I am your host, Roman Gennaro. Let's jump right in. And I have things I want to talk about, but the first thing I want to mention is a big congratulations to Tigers first baseman slash DH Miguel Cabrera, who just an hour ago became the 33rd member of the 3000 Hit Club in, in Major League Baseball and just the third Detroit Tiger to accomplish that feat while wearing the uniform. The other two, just Ty Cobb and Al Kaline. Two of the best to ever put on a uniform, period. So congratulations to Miguel Cabrera. To those of you who, who aren't baseball fans, it might not sound like a big deal, but for those of you who are, you know how big a deal it is. If you think about how long Major League Baseball's been around, only th- and only 33 players have reached 3,000 hits. Miguel Cabrera's been around for a long time now. He came into the league at 20, 20 years old, I believe, and he's 39. And to start his age 39 season, he's hitting really, really well. Um, better than you'd expect from someone his age, but this reminds me of uh, Big Poppy during his final season when he had one of his best seasons in a while. So age is nothing but a number. But I do want to mention, uh, in the previous game against the Yankees, Yankees manager Aaron Boone intentionally walked Miguel Cabrera with first base open um, when, when he was 0 for 3 in the game, so he went. Oh, he did not get number 3,000 against the Yankees, and Aaron Boone was booed for that. When asked about it after the game, he said, he can get 3,000 hits, just not against us. Aaron Boone was perfectly within his rights to do that, but in my opinion, while it's not an unwritten rule, and we'll get more into unwritten rules in a second, even though I touched on it a couple weeks ago, even though it's not an unwritten rule to do that um, when the league is on a milestone watch, those fans were there to see Miguel Cabrera. Those fans were not there to see the Yankees. They were there to see Miguel Cabrera try to get 3,000 hits, and Aaron Boone took it away from him. So I don't think that was a good, I don't think that was a great move on his part. And I like Aaron Boone as a player when he played, as an analyst, and as a manager. I like Aaron Boone, but this was not a good move. Um, for him, I did, and then it, it was compounded even more when I, when I heard him say, perhaps in jest, um, Cabrera cost me a World Series in 2003, so now we're even, because in 2003, Aaron Boone played for the Yankees, who lost two, two, two Cabrera's Marlins in 2003 when Cabrera was a rookie, um, so I certainly hope that was in jest. I did not hear the tone with which he said it because I read it. Um, so I hope he was joking because that's really, really, really petty. Um, but I choose to believe that he was joking. But still, that's not a good look to intentionally walk a player that's on a milestone watch when everyone in the stadium was there to see him. Let's let, let, let's be real about that. Um, okay. So the first thing I want to talk about, and this could get a little dicey, uh, because the story is is not completely concrete. But um, former top prospect Imani Bates has announced his intention to transfer from the Memphis Tigers and play play college basketball elsewhere next season. Imani Bates, going into his freshman year last year with Memphis, was a top 10 pick across the boards. Or not a top 10 pick, a top 10 prospect across the boards. In some rankings, had him as high as 3 and he reclassified for, for the 2021 class 
he he turned 18 during the season, so he should have been a 2022 player, but he reclassified uh, in the class of 2021. So he so he's very young, which is which uh, probably is the reason for a lot of things that happened at Memphis. He only played eight in, in 18 of the team's games um, due to a back injury. So so he didn't play for for two months. In the middle of the season, we were told it was because of a back injury by Coach Penny Hardaway. But I had heard things that, you know, there 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 was friction between Imani and the coach, and and he and and the fit wasn't quite right. So I remember there being some some amount of question around his injury and where he was from the team, why he wasn't there, but then. When Bates was out, when this top prospect, big deal, uh, the next best thing after Michael and LeBron is what he was being called, um, the next in line, if you will, his team got better. Memphis got better. They finished the season strong, had a good run in the AAC tournament, made it to the NCAAs without Bates. Bates did not play at all in the conference tournament. And he played a combined 15 minutes in the team's two tournament games, only playing three in their first round win against Boise State. So while the dysfunction with Memphis basketball that centered around Bates may have been due to injury, may have been due to not quite fitting right, I would have liked to see him choose to stay and work through it and get better because when he did play he shot less than 40 percent from the field um he 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 didn't have any major impact he averaged less than 10 points a game in the in the games he did play I, I i would have liked to see him work through it i would have liked to see him come back and do it again i'm not putting all the blame on him some of the blame for the situation i think lies with the media who was so ready to call him next in line behind Michael and LeBron and whoever else. We're, we're too quick to look for the next great. Like just let, I think we should let these kids be kids. He said he was 17 when he showed up at Memphis. He turned 18 on campus. This, this should have been his freshman year. Um, it remains to be seen where he will transfer a lot of teams, including Arkansas and Michigan has, has, have reached out to him. Let's remember that, Originally, he had committed to play at Michigan State because he's from Ypsilanti uh, and then decommitted and chose Memphis. So we'll see if he goes back up towards Michigan or Michigan State or where he plays next season. But I would have liked to see him stick it out at Memphis. I would have liked to see them work through whatever um, chemistry struggles, whatever injury struggles were had, whatever the situation. I had heard there were some other issues, some other criticisms about Bates. And even if, if this is not a situation of we don't want you, you don't want us, as it kind of comes off, that may not be the situation at all, but it comes off as like he didn't want to be there, they didn't want him to be there. It reminds me a lot of Ben Simmons, and I want to talk more about Ben Simmons than I do about Bates, so this is a heck of a segue. Um, because I didn't have this show when the Ben Simmons drama went down. Uh, and I had a lot to say about it. 
I feel like we live in a society now where no one wants to take responsibility for anything uh, in sports. When Ben Simmons was missed all that time with Philly, he didn't show up in, 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 in the playoff series the season before. And then he was injured. And then when he was rehabbing, when, when he was able to practice, he, you know, would show up to practice in sweats and he would play at half speed with his phone in his pocket. He would get, he would get yelled at by Doc Rivers and like asked to, to, you know, put his phone away, do all these other things and, you know, would get kicked out of practice and and there were there were issues with him and Embiid um there were issues with him and Doc Rivers it just, it, it it wasn't working with Ben Simmons and it and it started before last year's playoffs where um Ben Simmons really showed no desire to improve his game offensively he 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 wasn't he couldn't really shoot he his skill set was rebounding and defense and the Sixers needed more from him. They needed him to work on a shot. I believe they even asked him to work on his shot and he just never, it never came. It never improved. He never really showed an interest in improving. Um, so like be, not being able to shoot is not an excuse. F- Phillies had this before with former number one pick uh, Markel Fultz the year before Ben Simmons and Markel Fultz couldn't really, didn't really have a jump shot due to a surgery that he had had, um, it while in college at Washington and it wasn't really working with Markel Fultz and they traded him, uh, to Orlando. And ever since he's been in Orlando, he's, he's become that former number one player. He's become a spark plug for for an, an Orlando team who, while not playoff caliber, is building and, and and he's a good person for them to build around. He plays hard. He he does score the basketball. He he has improved his shot. He has a lot of Derrick Rose in him of just I'm gonna go right at you and get the ball in the bucket. I'm not saying he's the shooter Derrick Rose was, absolutely not, but he has a lot of Derrick Rose in him as far as his intensity on the court and he definitely he definitely is a catalyst for Orlando before before his ACL injury uh last season. Orlando started the first few games of the season. They were in first in the East. And, and and Markel was playing out of his mind. Then he gets hurt, and they trade away Vucevic and Gordon and start over. So we, so the Sixers have seen the can't-shoot guy before, but in Fultz's case, it was due to a surgery. It was due to an injury, and he worked past it once he got to Orlando. Ben Simmons shows no interest in working past it. Ben Simmons is, this is how I play, deal with it. And between that and the sweatpants 
and the attitude and everything. He had an attitude that he didn't want to be there. The Sixers just got tired of it. And when the news came out that Ben Simmons, um, like that they that they were pretty much tired of Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons decides I'm not going to play for you. You don't want me. I'm not going to play for you. So he sits out. You sit out, you get fined. So he got fined. And he lost nearly all his money. And demanded a trade when he could no longer afford the fines. And played it off as if he was the victim in the situation. And that, oh, the Sixers are, 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 are bad. They, they're a terrible organization. He played it off as the victim. In Philly, when it was actually the opposite, and I could do nothing but laugh that it was so clear to everyone watching that Ben Simmons was the bad guy in the situation, that Ben Simmons gave up on the team, that Ben Simmons didn't care about anyone but Ben Simmons, that he didn't care about improving as a basketball player, that he didn't care about getting healthy, that he didn't care about producing for Philadelphia. And then he was like, oh, woe is me. I want to be anywhere but Philly because they're so mean and terrible. It didn't fool anybody. Ben Simmons did not fool anybody. He could not take responsibility for his shortcomings as a player. He could not take responsibility for his bad attitude. And we're kind of seeing we're kind of seeing the same thing with Baker Mayfield right now in in in, in Cleveland. Baker Mayfield's a good player. But there were a lot of off-the-field things and attitude things that teams couldn't get past. Even when he was being drafted out of Oklahoma, the Browns picked him with, with the first pick. But there were, there, there were questions about Baker off the field before he was drafted. He gets to Cleveland. They do okay. They had a big playoff win against the Steelers in 2019, but that was pretty much it. Uh, that 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 was the high point for Baker and Cleveland. He doesn't make the best decisions with the ball on the field, and then his attitude is still his attitude. Um, what people did like about him was this chip on my shoulder. I'm going to go beat you, which is why he was so successful at Oklahoma because he had been a walk-on at, uh, or he had been at Texas Tech and basically been um, unseated by Patrick Mahomes when he came in. And so he transferred to Oklahoma with this chip on his shoulder, this fire in his eyes to be the best, to prove everybody wrong. And it worked. And, and he got drafted number one overall. But then we didn't see that same thing. The attitude was still there. The, the spunk was still there. But the fire behind his desire to play was gone. And now, when everybody around the league is like, hey, we're noticing. And then Cleveland goes out and trades for Deshaun Watson, who's not even really cleared to play yet. That tells the NFL, that tells fans, that tells Baker Mayfield, we don't want you because the things 
the question marks we have about you both on and off the field heavily outweigh what we think you could possibly do for us. So that tells him they don't want him. And now that he's, he hasn't technically been released yet. He's still uh, with Cleveland. It would have to work out as a trade. There's not really a trade market for Baker. There's We've heard a little bit Carolina, a little bit Seattle. We've heard some things. He said, Baker has said, man, I want to play um, for Indy. That's who I want to play for. And Indy immediately goes and trades for Matt Ryan. We when, when Baker's name came up with Carolina, one of Carolina's receivers publicly tweeted, no. Like with exclamation points, no was how was how the tweet came across. Robbie Anderson, look it up. So that tells Baker that players don't want to play with him. Established players, veterans don't want to play with Baker. Robbie Anderson's never played with Baker, but he's seen Baker. He knows how Baker plays. He knows who Baker is. He watches Sports Center. He watches ESPN. He knows. Players don't want to play for, play with him. Teams don't want to take a flyer on him. If he if he gets a if he gets a, a job, even if it's on the bench, we will see. But right now, the market is cool on Baker Mayfield because all the question marks that have been there his entire career have suddenly become too much. And so, even if it's not the case with Imani Bates at Memphis. Ben Simmons and Baker Mayfield have shown us that professional sports have a generation of players that don't want to be held responsible for their own shortcomings and and their actions when it comes to their teams. If if things go sour because of 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 something the player did, it's like, "Oh no, there's they're so bad. I want to play for someone who appreciates me." Before they can appreciate you, you have to appreciate yourself in a way that's not, I can do no wrong. Appreciating yourself is how can I improve? How can I be the best I can be? And that includes an attitude of adjustments, an attitude of maybe these weren't the best decisions I made. Let me be a better teammate. Let me be a better coachable player. Let me be a better asset to those around me. It starts with you. If there's a problem in the organization, it, it, it might be an organizational issue. It might. But in the, in, in the case of, of Ben Simmons and Baker Mayfield, it's not. It's clear to everyone that you're the problem. As far as Bates is concerned, Will, it may have been his age. It may have been an injury. It may have been not a good fit. But after one year at Memphis, he's walking away. We'll see. Was it him? Or was it the situation at Memphis? Time will tell. Okay, a couple weeks ago I talked about when discussing Ronald Acuna's uh, relationship with Freddie Freeman and the unwritten rules of baseball. We talked a little bit about what's unwritten and what's not. Um, I mentioned earlier in this podcast that while it wasn't necessarily an unwritten rule to not walk a player uh, who is on 2,999 hits, it wasn't cool. Um, 
because it's not because they did it all the time to Barry Bonds when he was chasing Hank Aaron's record. They walked him instead of pitching to him. It happens. It wasn't cool. But Gabe Kapler had some interesting comments on the unwritten rules of baseball. Uh, and I give Gabe Kapler a lot of credit because when he was the manager for Philadelphia, I was not a fan. He relied too much on analytics and letting the computer and the numbers tell him what to do instead of w- watching the game with his eye. And I remember one game against when he was it was opening day against the Braves in 2018 or 19, one of those two. Aaron Nola was on the mound. The National or the Phillies took an early 5-0 lead. Um, and he, even though Aaron Nola was dealing, had given up one hit, I believe, through five, Gabe Kepler took him out because the numbers said that Aaron Nola was not as good the third time through the order as he was the first and second time. So Gabe Kepler let the numbers tell him when to take Nola out and not to let and not Nola's performance let him tell him when to take Nola out. He takes Nola out in the fifth. The Braves methodically work their way back against Philadelphia's so-so bullpen and end up walking off 6-5. to But now Gabe Kapler is with San Francisco, and he seemed to learn from his past mistakes and has, and has done a good job with, with San Francisco. In response to a question about the unwritten rules of baseball, he had this to say. If we don't want a team to bunt, we defend the bunt. If we don't want a team to steal, we defend the steal. And if we don't want a team to swing 3-0 in the 8th or ninth, we'll throw a ball. Essentially what he's saying is a couple of weeks ago I mentioned the situation where uh, a few years ago, last year, uh, Fernando Tatis hit, hit a grand slam against the Texas Rangers on a 3-0 count when the Padres were up by a lot, and that rubbed some people the wrong way. And I mentioned that when it comes to the unwritten rules of baseball, some things you absolutely you don't do. And the things that, things that don't affect competitiveness but the unwritten rules that i think are okay to break like i said before are the ones that are for a competitive reason now the most important unwritten rule to me is do not talk to or talk about a no hitter don't talk to a pitcher who's throwing one don't talk about one that's in progress that's for a competitive reason Some might say, oh, it's a jinx, but you don't talk to a pitcher who's throwing one because he's obviously in his own. Um, If you look in the dugout in that situation, it's 24 guys crammed on one side of the dugout while the pitcher sits at the end of the bench by himself, no one within shouting distance of him. It's for a competitive reason. Keep Keep him in the zone. What Gabe Kapler's saying here is something I agree with that your job is to be competitive. You're paid to compete. So if you stop doing that, 
then why are you out on the field? That's the same issue I have with load management in the NBA. You're paid to compete. And when you enter a league, enter a college season, enter a high school season, enter a major league season, NBA, NHL, NFL, whatever. You enter a season as a player, as a roster player. It is your job to compete every time you are able. Barring an injury or some sort of setback, it is your job to compete every time you are able. And these NBA players who take time off just because... Fans buy tickets to watch you play. And if you take time off because, oh, we've played two games in a row, it's so bad. That's suck it up, in my opinion. Hockey players play multiple nights in a row. And they're a lot more physical than NBA players. MLB, half the league just now at the start of the season played for two straight weeks without an off day. They did not complain. There are several players who play 150, 160 of the 162, 162 games in a season and don't take rest days. Sometimes towards the end of the year when a, when a division is locked up, they will, but players don't like that. I remember for the Braves, there there was a day when... Uh, when Nick Markakis and Freddie Freeman both got the day off. I think it was game one. I think it was game one sixty one. Brian Snitker gave them the day off uh, when both of them had played hundred and sixty to that point, and they weren't happy about it because they knew their job was to go out there and compete every day. What Gabe Kepler is saying is your job is to go out there and to compete every day, every out. 27 outs. If we don't want someone to bunt, we don't let them bunt. We, If we don't want someone to steal, we don't let them steal. If we don't want them to swing, we throw it outside the zone. That's what he's saying. That the things you don't want somebody to do are up to you. Because you're not going to go up there and assume that whoever you're facing off is going to stop competing because of the score. Because of the time left in the game. You're going to go up there and assume that the person that you're staring across to is exactly as competitive as you are. Because that's the way it should be. If you're a professional athlete, if you're a college athlete, you are a competitor. And the argument against loads management is ridiculous to me because you know what? You work for six months. Your season is six months. You have six months to rest. That's your load that that's your load management. You have six months off. That's your load management. So Gabe Kepler said what Gabe Kepler's comments here boil down to compete, compete, compete until the last minute, until the buzzer sounds, until the last out, compete. And I 100% agree. Okay. Um, last thing, the the Memphis Grizzlies in game three against the Minnesota Timberwolves, mounted a historic comeback. And I bring this up not only because it's newsworthy, not only because 
Memphis is really good. But because just a couple of weeks ago, just a week ago, we were talking about Minnesota celebrating a play-in victory like they had won the title and how that was not necessarily well-received. And now we have this. Minnesota blew 20-plus point leads twice in Game 3 against Memphis. At one point, Minnesota was up 47-21 to early in the second quarter. About, about nine minutes left in the second quarter. They were up 47-21. to By the end of the second quarter, by halftime, Memphis had closed it to a seven-point deficit at 51-44. to that means they closed the last nine minutes of the second quarter on a 23-4 to run. That's bad enough. But Minnesota still had a lead. Halftime happens. Teams come out for the second half. Minnesota comes out hot. Builds their lead back up. At the end of the third quarter, two minutes left or so, the score was back up to 79 to 54. 25 points. Late in the third. Late in the third. Two minutes, two and a half minutes left. The rest of the way, Memphis outscored Minnesota 50 to 16. And I believe the fourth quarter alone was 37 to 12. 50 to 16. So not only did Minnesota blow a first half lead, they didn't blow the lead in the first half. It shrunk from 26 to 7 in 9 minutes. Then in the next 10, they got it Minnesota got it back up to 25. The next 14, Memphis takes the lead, wins the game by 9. They they won 104 to 95. This tells me two things. One, Memphis is really good. And two, Minnesota might the only thing they have to celebrate is that play and win. So I'm glad they got it out of their system because they are out of their depth here. This this looks like a team who thought their job was done. This looks like a team who celebrated early. Who said, we want to play in. We're in the playoffs. We're, our job is done. What did I say last week? Minnesota looked lost in the fourth quarter. They looked like they didn't belong there. Maybe because they didn't. I find it interesting that this happened and a little amusing because I said it all along that that Minnesota was all in on one game, not necessarily looking forward to the series they had, knowing that Memphis was going to be tough. And I don't want to take credit away from Memphis. They closed huge gaps fast twice. That is that is 
That is nothing to sneeze at. The NBA, basketball in general, is a sport of runs. One team goes on a 7-2 to two run. The next team goes on a 10-0 on a, on a to nothing run. The next team goes on a 20-8 to eight run. It, it happens. But this, this was Minnesota blowing two leads of 25 or more in the same game. So I feel pretty comfortable heading into the next game with Memphis up 2-1 to one, saying that Memphis is going to win in five because this loss was isn't one you bounce back from. In the post-game press conference, Carl Anthony Towns didn't want to talk about it. All their players were saying, next question. Cat himself said, I'm a, I, I want to go drink wine and, and forget about the game. That doesn't sound like somebody who's locked in. That doesn't sound like somebody who believes in his team. Of course, this is the same Carl Anthony Towns who, in that play-in that caused so much controversy, was relatively quiet. I don't think Minnesota has gotten over their misplaced euphoria from the play-in game. And this game was their downfall. That's all I have for you this week on Empire Sports Talk. I am your host, Roman Gennaro, and I'll see you next time.